Shall I take your order, or do you need a minute? Ah, yes, I'll be ready. Just buying a car on Carvana. What? It's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. What? That's handy. Yeah. Now I'm customizing my down and monthly payments. What? That's an exquisite deal. And just like that, Carvana's delivering my car in a couple days. What? Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry, I'll have the burrito. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Delivery fees may apply. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Hey everyone, you might remember me from Teen Mom 2, but my 15 minutes is almost up. So I'm back with another podcast. I'm your barely famous host, Kale Lowry, and I'm catching up with people from my past, putting my asses on the hot seat, and chatting with TikTokers, influencers, and other reality stars. Get Weird With Me every Friday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Dr. Drew Podcast. We appreciate you all being here and supporting it. We do appreciate it. Also, we'd love a little love over at Dr. Drew After Dark. You can get that at your mom's house, also drdrew.com. I do believe the Corolla faithful and the Dr. Drew Podcast faithful would like that pod as well. It's sort of a reincarnation or an incarnation of Loveline. Not Mr. Corolla. We have the Adam and Drew show, of course, as well. Uh, do check it all out and drdrew.tv for the streaming shows. Today, I have Richie Stevens and John Alshuter. Ja- Richie's book, The Gangster's Guide to Sobriety, My Life in 12-Step, available now on Amazon. He collaborated with John on this, and I'm hearing rumors of some maybe some uh, media sort of uh, projects afoot. You can follow Richie at Richie Actor, R-I-C-H-I-E, Actor, one word. And uh, listen, who should I speak to first here? Welcome, gentlemen. You you have to decide, uh, uh, Drew. Clearly, it's John first, Richie. Sorry about that, John. I figured whoever came through thought it might be John. So, so John, you tell me, how did you hook up with Richie? Well, it's kind of interesting because I got a blind email from from Richie. I didn't know him, knew nothing about him, and I always say this: my lawyer is very adamant: do not ever open a blind email mm. because you will be sued. Yeah, and being who I am, I, I opened it and I started reading it. And there was something interesting. It, look, a lot of this whole concept, I'm not, I'm not a mystical guy, but I don't know why I opened it. And I don't know why I read it. And I don't really know why I ended up the next day at Starbucks and Sherbrooke's uh, talking to Richie. But the, the interesting thing about the email was that he wasn't pushing himself. He was pushing a friend's project. And I thought, okay, well, so I got together, met with him, and he was telling me all about his friend's project, showed it to me. It wasn't for me, but then while we were talking, Richie just was, I'd hear these little bits of information about, oh, I had to leave Ireland uh, to go to America. And I was like, well, why? Well, because the drugs are shite in Ireland. I had to go where the drugs are good. Of course. And of course. And you got to think like a drug yeah. addict, John. You don't know how to do that yet. You just, well, that, it's, it's all about the drugs, my it. friend. And, you go where the drugs are. The street, well, Ireland, wherever you can go. If it's better, cheaper, go. That's why we have the homeless in California. Where they, we allow it here. You can steal to support it. No one bothers you. There's the ready supply. Ah, we're coming. That's And so from that point on, it was just Richie started telling – not telling. He, he had written – written out his uh, his life story and it was really compelling we couldn't we couldn't quite uh sell it but dave and i were like this, this guy's life is amazing and then had this epiphany i'll, I'll just say where it's such a sprawling story because richie was in ireland san francisco yeah. he's an actor in la australia and I remember one time just going, Richie, you're sober. He goes, yeah, 12 steps. He goes, absolutely. And I go, you know what? Let's just take your sprawling life and get a handle on it by telling it in 12 steps. Each chapter, 
is a step in your sobriety that allows us to go to the past, but also lead people through how you made it to the other side. Interesting. Okay, uh, Richie, enough of this producer guy talking. Let, let's hear what your story was. <laughs> what is your story? Uh, thanks, Drew. Thanks for having us on. You, you know, um, I used to watch your show before I got sober. You remember you had this celebrity rehab? Yeah. I used to watch that, I think, uh, about a year or two before I got sober. And at the time, I was probably doing about a quarter ounce of Coke a week. Good times. And I really didn't think I had a, didn't think I had a problem. But I used yeah. to watch your show, and I used to think, these fools can't handle their stuff. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and uh, you know... I was I was so far gone that that uh, I was watching these other addicts on the show who were trying to get sober and, and I didn't put it together that I might have a problem, you know. But <laughs> I guess I, maybe I, you planted the seed. Well, it, well, that's that's that was always our hope. But denial is a is an incredibly powerful uh, phenomenon. I actually, it's so powerful just how denial works. I really think it has a biological basis to it. Because you know it's almost delusional, right? I mean, you're looking right at yourself in the on the screen there. You know, somebody with a cocaine problem that I'm treating, and you think, "Oh, what an asshole! He can't handle it." <laughs> Not like me. And, and yeah. I, the, the most the most extreme example that and people who hear this podcast probably have heard me tell this story before. But my nurse and I would go in the room always. You know, I, I was 20 years working in, in drug treatment. And I would always bring my charge nurse in with me, and we would just amuse ourselves by asking the first question, you know, why are you here? Why, why today? Why did, what's motivating? Because we're, we're interested in their motivation. We want to meet them where they are and understand it. But the, the, the stories would crack us up so much because the, the patient would sit up in bed and go, you don't know how hard it is. I'm sick and tired of this. We're living like this. is impossible. I decided it's time. It's for me. I'm going to do this. I literally opened the chart. And there's a picture of him in chains in court being sent directly to our hospital. Did the judge have anything to do with it? Oh, yeah, yeah, the judge. Yeah, yeah, there was that, that moment in court that you know, he sent me here, but that's not why I'm here. It's I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. It's like literally like doesn't think about the actual brought in chains to the hospital. And that's not – that they, they can't sort of put that together as what maybe brought them in. Anyway, so, so go ahead. You finally – what was your bottom? What happened? No, Lord, I had a series of bottoms over over a course of a few years, but the very last thing that that uh, that brought me to the end, um, I had just got back from Australia. I figured America was the problem, so I went to Australia for yeah. a little while. Yeah. Thing is, Australia didn't work for me either because I wasn't sober. I was misbehaving out there. Wait, hold on, slow down, Richie. You mean back. you mean there was cocaine and alcohol in Australia? What? Are you kidding? Well, the, co- the cocaine was too expensive in Australia. That was the problem. Uh-huh. Two hundred and fifty bucks a gram. Ah, so you switched to something so, else. What'd you switch uh, to? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it, Australia was very expensive in general. There's this boxed wine. It's called Goon. It's made from fish bones. And <laughs> and <laughs> four or five bucks a box. I, I was drinking this Goon. And at the time, there, there was a drug that hadn't been made illegal yet called Methadrone. It was oh, like yeah. an offshoot of MDMA. I was yeah. doing that for a while as well. Okay. Cat. But, Isn't that cat? Anyway, long story short, I don't know what it's called, but it's yeah. called methadrone in yeah. Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I m- managed to make it back, and you know, I, you know, the the old marriage was on on the outs. So when I got back to back to America, part of the deal when I got back into the house was the wife. She said she wanted me to go see a shrink, so I went on went to see this see this shrink at the time, and you know when when you when there's an intake at a at a psychiatrist's office. You have to fill out this paperwork. It's like all this details about your life. And, you know, some of the questions were about drug and alcohol intake. And at the time, I didn't want to seem like too much of a fiend. So I said on an average night out, I would drink maybe six pints, maybe half a gram of Coke. You know, I, I thought that was like a, ge- a gentlemanly amount, you know. And, uh, but but the very first very first time I met this lady, she, you know, she she was she was reading the thing and she listened to me for a little bit. She said uh, she's like, uh, you know, I think you might be an alcoholic. Maybe you might need to go to twelve step meetings. And I was like, no, let's talk about my childhood. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't want I didn't want to uh, I didn't want to admit it. I, in my head at the time, a half ounce or I mean a half gram of coke was a gentleman. No, Richie, you Richie, to interrupt you. You, know? you you can't imagine how many people I've seen who went into psychoanalysis to do to get get better to avoid addressing the alcohol. 
You know, in other words, anything but stop drinking, right? That's sort of the way the alcoholic brain works. And so literally somebody – I'll get people, they're three years into psychoanalysis. They have a pristine understanding of their childhood drinking like a motherfucker. You know, <laughs> just how alcoholism – so that's like, yeah. uh, the comedy. So it's the humor of addiction. It's the funniest damn disease. I mean it's tragic, but it's also terribly, terribly funny. And so there you are at the psychiatrist's office and they suggest a little something-something. No way you did that. So what happened yeah. next? Yeah, I, I didn't want to hear about that. Yeah. And then at the time, I, I was in a gang. I was selling cocaine, and I was, I was selling uh, Viagra. You know, and I was working as, as as a construction worker at the time. I was wait a minute. Carpenter wait, wait, Richie, Richie, hold on. Richie, hold on. So, so you you did a lot of acting, right? Was it, did, were you unable to do that, or because of the addiction, or did what what happened that way? I only became an actor like when I was thirty. This is all before I. I see. I see. Okay. Got yeah. It. Yeah. So you know, I, I was uh, I was twenty eight when I got sober. Got it. And uh, so I was in the, I was in this Asian gang. I didn't even realize that was funny until I met John. And you know, he he was like uh, he's like you were in an Asian gang. And I was like, yeah. He's like, we, but you're not Asian. Like, yeah. So I'm from Australia. <laughs> like, well, I, I lived I'm in Australia. Asian. That's yeah. Asian enough. No. <laughs> uh, so, so he asked me why, and basically the, the reason was they had the best cocaine, yeah. you know. And yeah. uh, I was in this Asian gang selling the, selling coke and, you know, without being able to go into it here. So somebody hurt somebody I cared about, and I decided this guy was going to have to be whacked. And, um, you know, I, I talked to a few people about having this guy killed. You know, I asked my gang, and they said they wouldn't kill somebody who who hadn't messed us over in business. They wouldn't kill somebody for for personal reasons. Then I asked this uh, this Nortenio guy I knew, and you know, he was he was an ex-con. I used to work together with him. He was he was a HVAC man, and so a lot of gangsters work in construction too. Yeah. So I rang this guy up. His name was Nortenio Joe, and and I asked told him the story, and I I asked him what he whacked this guy, and he said he'd do it for five grand. And uh, I didn't have five grand. I said, I'd give him two. And he's like, no, no, I can't do it. And then I was going to rub this terrorist bar in San Francisco that laundered money for, for the Irish terrorists. I, I had a plan on robbing this place. And, you know, I asked some of my friends to do it. They were all too scared. I had a girlfriend at the time. I asked the girlfriend. She she didn't want to do it either. And then Joe called me back and he told me he'd, he'd killed the guy for, for two grand. And I was going to get this guy whacked. And, and, Basically, I was suicidal, and at the end of it, I just uh, uh, I decided not to kill the guy, and and uh, I called up a friend that I had who was sober in twelve step meetings, and he took me to my first meet. Wow. Well, what? there's one thing that I, I I will interject about the comedy of all this. I know nothing about that sounds funny, but when he started telling this to Dave and I, we drunk. Attic logic is so amazing yeah. because with a straight face, he's explaining basically how his you know, he has to avenge his girlfriend and the girlfriend's boyfriend is a problem. And and there, and, and I, I'm going to uh, knock off this terrorist bar and nobody sees how brilliant my ideas are. Like, and you go, <laughs> oh, my God. Or, or when he, he was telling us about doing the inventory and you have to do the shit list. And he goes, number one, Australia. And we're like, it's a whole continent that is on his, you know, uh, you know, who's done him wrong. So it's a little, I see his life almost in terms of the Scorsese movie. It's awful, but it's so compelling. And Richie, you made it through. So there always is yeah. a little bit of a humor to it. Is that fair? Yeah, I love to tell the tale. <laughs> well, it's humorous because the motivational system is broken when people are making these decisions. And the the only motivation that emerges is doing better, more drugs. And so your question about why did he join – do anything, let alone join an Asian gang, whatever he was doing, the answer was better, more drugs, <laughs> access, and sometimes – Sometimes sex comes into it. Sometimes money comes into it. But it's all really more drugs. <laughs> it's really, really what the, the deal is. And uh, it, that's the motivation. And so everything else is sort of seen through that prism justified, right? To you, you're like, what? How, how could you? Because you, you, your brain's <laughs> motivated normally. 
he can go back to that state and go, yeah, yeah, it made perfect sense. The gang said pure cocaine. Why? That's what you do, right? When the, you need drugs, you need money, you, you go with those guys. What, what, what's the problem, John? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but but I, there there's a piece missing here that I want to get into. You 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 skipped over how you suddenly became suicidal. Now, were you were you still doing the methadrone, or were you were you doing meth methamphetamine? No, no, I, was I, it all still I, cocaine I and alcohol? Did, was it all cocaine no, and alcohol? I only, I only did the methadrone in Australia, so I was in Australia for like three or four months. It yeah. didn't last long out there. So in in America, my 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 drink was sambuca yeah. and Guinness, and my my drug was cocaine. Okay. So at the time when I was suicidal, I was doing a lot of cocaine. Yeah, and the suicidality was around your desperation, or where where did that come in? Yeah, Were you I getting psychotic? Well, the very last time, yeah. I'd say probably, I've lost count of the number of times where I've been suicidal, but uh, at the very end, basically, um, it was around the time of Burning Man, you know, that big raid yeah. in the desert. Yeah. Uh, somebody somebody put me in touch with an undertaker from Ireland who was coming out to Burning Man, and he wanted a half ounce of coke to go to Burning Man. And uh, so this funeral director, uh, he needed the coke, so I got an ounce, gave him half and then the other half went up my nose in a, in a few days. I was, I was feeling down. Things weren't going well for me. It was just years of abuse. And, and um, you know, I did like a lot of coke over a period of days, drank a lot of vodka and, you know, just basically decided that there was things were never going to get better. Um, it's time to, time to finish it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, Craig Ferguson has a great story about his bottom being – that he, I forget exactly the detail, but he it was Christmas Eve, and he decided he was going to kill himself. And he went to his favorite bar, drank himself to the point that he passed out, woke up on Christmas morning, and uh, had urinated all over himself, thrown up, whatever, and was like, okay, now I'm going to... And of course, alcoholics, how they think, he, he's going to do a swan dive off the Tower Bridge. He's not just going to kill himself. He's going to jump off the Tower Bridge, like a proper dramatic exit. <laughs> <laughs> and he said he came downstairs full of urine and whatever and hadn't, you know, been up all night or drinking. And and uh, the bar was empty in the morning, but his, the bartender was behind the bar. And he's, the guy said, uh, come on, Craig, have, have, one more, have one more shot for me for, for Christmas Day. Uh, and he proceeded to go back into a binge and it saved his life. <laughs> that, that binge that day saved his life. But, but he realized that that was, uh, that was it that, that, because he ended up back in the same state. And they, it was thinking a little more clearly about trying to find ways out, which is, of course, available everywhere. Um, so, so did you do crack or were you snorting cocaine? Did I want? Did you use crack or were you snorting drugs always? Did you smoke the cocaine? I, I did crack maybe five times ever, but I never really liked it. Like, you know, for me, I'm kind of chatty and friendly, so cocaine worked for me because I'd have a few lines, I'd go out and talk to people, but the few times I did crack, it was really antisocial. Mm. Like, um, you know, it's like sitting in a room, nobody can speak, you're yeah. kind of going, <laughs> like yeah. this kind of problems breathing, so it felt really junky-like. So, so thank God I never liked the crack. But uh, I I did it many five times. I wasn't a fan of yeah that that is a that is a bad road that that goes to a bad place fast. Uh, so mm-hmm. so here we are. Uh, oh, the other thing uh, I, I caught my caught my attention is was it when you said John that Australia was on his was on a fourth step or fifth step? What 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 where where did Australia f- was was. What, what did you mean by that, John? Oh, what that was, was on my fourth step. Your fourth step. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Hold on. And, and, and so, <laughs> so Australia was on your fourth step. Now, now that caught my attention in that that the, the first time you did your fourth step and presented it to your sponsor, did did he accept it or did he give you shit about it? Did he get, and did he, was there a problem? Here's yeah, what I'm getting at. Was there a problem in your fifth step? Because I, I, I sense – I sense a problem, and I'll tell you what it is in a second. But you tell me what your what your sponsor said. <laughs> well, oh, before I did, I did my my fourth step, or in the book I call it the shit list. You know, yeah. before I did that, I kind of thought I was a good guy. 
you know, I really thought, you know, I was a nice guy in general. I felt like people fucked me over, you know. Yeah. Um, but in general, I was behaving myself well. And and there's part of, you know, for those who don't know, a fourth step is an inventory of all the people, places, and things you're mad about, you're mad at, and the reasons why. And then the last part is you, you do um, what was your part in it. Yeah. And when I when I first did it, my part was completely empty. Right. You know? <laughs> right. That's what I, that's like, what I was I, that's like what I was sensing. Yeah. That's what I was saying because because yeah, you were you were yeah. pilot you're really you're starting you're starting your fourth step from resentment that, that is where you are starting your fourth <laughs> step that's not where the fourth step is supposed to start yeah, I resent Australia I yeah, resent yeah. our no, continent one of the first... <laughs> <laughs> yeah one of the first guys I had on there was this, this guy called Ollie you know I, I used to be a drug dealer and when I was young this guy. I got caught by the cops when I was about 19 or something like that in Ireland. One of my employees was this guy called Ollie. And uh, he got caught by the cops and then he set me up and then I got caught. Yeah. So he was like one of the top ones on the list as well. And my sponsor was this guy called Bernard or Americans would say Bernard. So so Bernard, he said, he says, well, what's the first one? I said, uh, Ollie, he says, what did he do to you? I says, he set me up with the cops. And then he, he asked me, what was your partner? I said, well, I didn't have a part. Stand-up guy. He never sticks on anybody. I'm not a rat. And uh, he, he looks at me and he goes, uh, "Aren't you selling drugs?" I said, "Yeah." He says, "Aren't drugs illegal?" I said, "Yeah." So he says, "Well, if you weren't selling drugs, he wouldn't have told on you." <laughs> and that had completely escaped me. You know, I hadn't been looking at the big picture at all. It's inter- it really is interesting how you, yeah you can't think he must have said fuck you a few times right in your four step come on fuck you <laughs> well, yeah a lot, a lot of times he says same shit you yeah right told me all this <laughs> right same shit and, I, and I, I was like I was like no no we have to be thorough because I heard you have to be thorough if you want to stay sober <laughs> you don't know I'm, I'm special I'm special let me tell you my special resentments yeah it's fantastic <laughs> I, I we're laughing at it because this is how it works this is the this is the nature of recovery and nature of alcoholism and these things collide in recovery and it's it's amusing and uh and now do you tell your story at uh, speaker meetings now Oh yeah, that, yeah, that's how this all started. Yeah. You know, people ask me a lot because I have an unusual story, and I'm foreign. There's not many Irish fellows here in LA. Yeah, well, and, and there's a few. Th- oh, go ahead, sorry. John. Please. There's something that's interesting to me about this aspect of of of, of the twelve steps, where you have to, you know, you're supposed to help others. Yeah. And Richie tells an interesting story about. When he started getting sober, he became like he wanted to help others, and and who should he help first? But his clients that he's selling drugs to, <laughs> and like, and then how you got out of it, I thought was interesting. I'll tell that story. I'm, I'm. This is getting convoluted. Tell me what happened. Well, so so basically, after I got sober uh, and I started going to the meetings and decided I wanted to to really do this, I realized that I can't be committing crime anymore i can't be selling drugs and be sober so i had to like tell my gang that i'm not going to be taking this coke every week because they bring me coke every week and i sell it and give them the money so like i had to like let them know i'm out of the business you know you're and uh so i rang up the guy uh, his name was ronald and, and i told him i said you know i can't do this anymore i'm sober i need to you know i won't be able to take this ounce every week off you and he wanted to meet me. So then I was really worried because, like, why couldn't I just tell him on the phone? He yeah. told me to meet him. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of worried. I didn't know whether they were, they were going to give me one in the back of the head because there was no reason to see me. You yeah, know? You, you knew something. So uh, he wanted he, well, yeah, I knew too much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I met him on a Saturday, and he got into my truck, and I'm, like, bracing myself. And, you know, we're listening to the radio. There was Oasis on the radio. And he says, I'm all about Oasis. <laughs> oh, okay, and, and, uh, and he basically just wanted to look me in the eye and, and see if I was telling the truth about what I said. Uh, you know, I was a drug addict. Yeah. You can't really trust drug addicts. And I told him, you know, I, you know, I really can't do this anymore. I'm sorry because I'm trying to be sober. I have a problem. And he, he looked at me and he said, you know, you're a good guy. You've always been straight with us. And if you have a problem, then you're doing the right thing. I said, oh, okay, cool. And then he offered to buy my customers off me. Uh. And, uh, 
I, I was like, no, you can have them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, and, uh, uh, yeah, and he was like, no, no, you don't have to see anything. You don't have to touch anything. I'll give you residual income every week. Just oh. give me your customers and you'll get your, your residual. Oh, boy. And I was like, no, I, I didn't feel good about it. So, so I said, no, you can have them. You know? so, <laughs> yeah. so I, I gave them away. But then some of my really bad customers, like I knew I had a problem. But like when I was dealing some of these people, I would, I would meet them and like, Jesus, this guy really has a fucking problem. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, like the really bad ones, every time they'd ring me for Coke, I'd go up and meet them. And, and there was one guy, he was, he was a gardener for the city of San Francisco. And I called up to his house. He's like, do you have the Coke? And I'm like, hey, just these meetings and you can go there and you don't have to get high anymore if you go to these meetings. And uh, oh, boy. He, he looks at me and he, he goes, I don't have a problem. Uh, and I was like, uh, you don't? <laughs> and he, he goes, no, you go to your meetings. He said, he said, uh, I could stop anytime I want. Right, Definitely right. Said, yeah, of definitely. And I couldn't understand it because he was way worse than I was. But yeah. yeah and, and then it kind of struck me. I was like, just because I get it doesn't mean everybody else is ready to get it. God, that's the truth, right? Um, how long were you going to meetings and still trafficking drugs? Oh, I had stopped completely as soon as I uh, started the maintenance. Really? Not a few weeks or a few yeah, months? I didn't. So I got my last my last ounce was, was what I got for that guy for Burning Man. So that was August 2010. And then I never got any more. And, when did, and when did you start going to meetings? September okay. 2010. Well, for the movie, John, yeah, have, have it overlap a little more for the TV show or movie, whatever you guys are doing. <laughs> no, you because, guys, you because, guys. because it's not uncommon. That, that's that screwed up thinking again. It takes a while to really – and this is what I want to get at. Well, so, this is, it, go ahead, John. No, no, you go ahead. Well, I was going to say that that you know the really – a lot of people have a struggle with, and I, w- I want to hear this from, uh, from Richie, is you know, in order to be sober, you have to lead – a certain kind of life. And that's a life of honesty and integrity and, you know, just a healthy life. You have to do that or you will use again. Because as soon as you start lying and bullshitting in any way, whew, off it goes. Because the first person you'll bullshit is yourself. And, and so was it – I'm wondering if it was hard for you because you'd had such a long run in multiple cultures not leading that kind of life. Was that hard for you? Well, in terms of the deal, and I kind of, you know, straight away, I, I knew I, there was no way I could do that anymore. But for me, it was something that was more difficult. Is like, I was used to handling things with violence, you know, mm-hmm. like it, people used to fight in Ireland and that's how it is. And, and when you're out in bars and stuff like that, so it's like somebody made me mad. My usual thing was to fight the person, you know, so, so, so uh, I had to learn new new methods of dealing with conflict and, and, and methods of controlling my, myself, my anger. You know, I, I, I used to cheat on my wife all the time. I had like, I, I realized that's not sustainable. You can't be behaving like that and stay sober. So not so much the crime. I, I quit the crime straight away, but like these other like big picture personality stuff were things that I really had to change. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How was that? How'd you do it? That's a hard. That's a hard move for people. That's a part. Listen to my sponsor. He be- what? Listen to your sponsor? Yeah, I basically listen. Listen to my sponsor. He was like, he told me everything I know. This guy uh, Bernard. You know, I remember when I was new at the meetings. So there's something in the twelve step meetings for people don't, who don't know. It's called getting a commitment. So a commitment is like a job you get at the meeting, and you you, you show up every week, whether yeah. that's make the coffee or different shit like that and yeah. when i was new at the meetings my sponsor told me how to get a commitment and the first one that came up was greeter so there was this irish meeting in san francisco and uh the secretary said we need a greeter and, and my sponsor like elbows me in the shoulder he says go on take that so i put my hand up and I, I agreed to be the greeter at this meeting i had no idea what it was like and um so so i had agreed to, to be this greeter and then they told me i had to come early stand at the door and welcome people to the meeting. Mm-hmm. And when I was new, I, I didn't want to welcome anybody. All I wanted to do was stay in the back, hide out, you know, keep myself to myself. I, I was like a, a lot of raw feelings. I definitely wasn't, didn't want to sign up to go, welcome to the meeting. <laughs> you? you know, but that's, that's what I had just done. But, uh, you know, I was willing to do whatever this man told me because 
I really wanted to be sober. I, 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 I felt like my life could get better if I, if I could just stay sober. So I agreed to be this greeter. And I show up every week. And at the start, I felt kind of awkward, you know, couldn't look people in the eye, stuff like that. Yeah. And then I started to relax about it. I'd, I'd stand at the door. I'd like chill out up against the door, smoke some <laughs> cigarettes. Hey, welcome to the meeting. And, and I was really getting a buzz out of it then. I was like making friends and, and things were going good. And then there was this older Irish guy from the meeting, Stephen. He was a good dude, but he came up to me and he said, uh, he said, stand up straight, put out that cigarette. This is a bad representation of the meeting. Yeah. And I couldn't believe what he was saying that to me. It really offended me. Like, you know, when somebody offends you sometimes and you're just, you're so shocked, you don't even react. Like later, yeah. I was like, can't believe that little man did that to me. And, yeah. You know, I was stewing about it. I was all mad. He criticized me how I was doing my commitment. So I ring up Bernard that night and I says, Fuck this shit. I'm not going back to this meeting. This is bullshit. He's trying to make me drink again. I'm, I'm quit. I'm done. Like, and uh, Bernard listened to me ranting. And uh, he says, hold on a second. You're sober now. That's not how we handle stuff. I was like, what do you mean? Like, He says, when you're sober and you have a problem with someone, you talk to that person. I was like, what? <laughs> and he goes, I was like, what, what do you want me to do? Because like, the normal course of action, if you're not sober, and you're in a bar and someone offends you, you punch them in the face. Like, yeah. You don't talk to them. Who's the story that offended me, you know? So uh, so he, he says, he told me he wanted me to call up this guy and tell him I had a problem. And then when he told me that, I, I really didn't want to call him up. Yeah. Like, I just yeah. wanted to run away and quit yeah. my commitment and yeah. use it as an excuse to, to stop going. So I rang up the guy. You know, I, like, smoked five cigarettes before I rang him. I was, like, so stressed out. I rang him up, and he answers the phone. Well, Richie, how you doing? I says, uh, Stephen, uh, you said something that bothered me at the meeting. And uh, he says, what did I say? He <laughs> says, uh, you told me I was doing a bad job with my, with my commitment. And, uh, you know, I was trying really hard. It fucking pissed me off. And he listened to me and he said, you know what? You're right. I apologize. Are we cool? And uh, I couldn't believe he actually apologized to me. Like, because that's not, that's, that doesn't happen at the bar either. Like, if somebody, you know, <laughs> that's fighting talk. But uh, he apologized to me. And, and that was it. And, and, and the whole thing was diffused. And it was like something I, I the, the way I wouldn't usually handle the situation. And then I went back to do my commitment, but I didn't, I tried to stand up a bit straighter and I didn't smoke so many cigarettes when I was doing it, you know, because I kind of listened to him a little bit, you know. It's a great story. Did you have any relapse? No. Amazing. Amazing. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. You know I like these guys. I send people to them, patients, family, friends. Been very pleased with the level of the professional services they provide. And look, no longer can you allow stigma to prevent you from going to get the help you need. Mental health is health. And uh, some people I always notice were fearful of running into people in the waiting room, that kind of thing. No, with BetterHelp, online therapy, offering video, phone, even live chat-only therapy sessions, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Drew. That is better, H-E-L-P dot com slash Drew. No longer should you wait. It is betterhelp.com slash Drew. Well, we are itching to get away on trips these days, but take a second and be prepared for the unexpected. One of the best ways to do that is with an Air MedCare Network Fly You Home membership. AMCN Fly You Home is about you taking control of your care. If you get hurt or sick or hospitalized more than 150 nautical miles from home, they will transport you to a hospital of your choice in a medically equipped private aircraft, and you won't have to pay a dime out of pocket. They've also completed more than 18,000 missions and have over 30 years of experience, so you can expect industry-leading care while recovering. Now, I know what you're thinking. It must be expensive, but it is as cheap as $134 a year for your entire household. And if you use code Dr. Drew, that is D-R-D-R-E-W, they'll give you up to a $60 gift card when you join. If you're like me, you like getting out of here, I can't recommend enough the peace of mind you feel with an AMCN Fly You Home membership. Just visit airmedcarenetwork.com slash Dr. Drew today. Get up to a $60 gift card with code Dr. Drew. Again, that is airmedcarenetwork.com slash Dr. Drew and code Dr. Drew. 
Symbiotica is a healthcare supplement company. It's designed sophisticated formulations that are scientifically shown to increase, well, a number of different physiological functions. It's the highest quality bioavailable ingredients. They have multiple products. I personally take the nicotinamide mononucleotide. I also take their probiotic agent. They have liposomal vitamin C, a synergistic formula. They, oh yeah, I use this too, the vitamin D3K2CQ10. It's again, a synergistic formula for cell function, strong connective tissue. And it's a, it's a squirting thing. You put it right on your tongue and I do it every day. What you do is you take an online quiz to figure out the best supplements for your specific health goals. It is Symbiotica, that is spelled C-Y-M, B-I-O-T-I-K-A. And for our listeners, use code DREW, D-R-E-W, at symbiotica.com for 15% off site-wide or create your custom bundle and get up to 45% off. It is Symbiotica, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A, symbiotica.com. So I'm a little confused how you got to that level of surrender. I'm not quite getting it. You, you mentioned being suicidal. You mentioned trying to kill somebody. What, I, I'm missing. There's like parts missing for me to, to that where you got to this point. You where you surrender is not an easy place for people to get to. They, they, there has yeah, to be no other no other way out. That's when people surrender. Yeah. Did you nearly die or yeah, something? That, what what happened? Well, here, like, look at so. I was 28 at this point, and I started drinking when I was 14 or 15. I had my first suicide attempt when I was about 18 or 19 mm. and multiple other ones after that. Ah. So like this was this wasn't the first rodeo. Got you it. Know? The, uh, nearly pretty much every time I tried to kill myself, people stopped me. Like um, the first time I was about 18, 19, I was I was in college. I was dealing a lot of ecstasy at the time and I was in a relationship with this girl and we, and we broke up and I really loved her and I was I was I was sad about it. And then, you know, I was drowning my sorrows one day and, and uh, I started, uh, I got a couple of bottles of Jack Daniels and I was drinking them. And while I was drinking and again, more and more depressed, and I think, fuck, I was just killing myself. And I started uh, taking handfuls of ecstasy. I took five in one go first. And at the time I had a big tolerance because I was dealing them and, and I, I was used to taking a lot of them, but I ended up taking 30 of them mm-hmm. uh, in, in that few hour period putting out cigarettes on my arm, I was cutting myself with a knife, all this kind of stuff. And there was a guy who I was living with at the time, and he, I had 100 pills, and he hid the other 70 from me, and he saved my life. Somehow I survived. That was the first time when I was 18, 19, and then it was almost 10 more years of, of this. Like, you know, so it was just more and more drugs, more and more running from my problems, you know, things weren't going well. Did so. you, did the, in these, were there near-death experiences with some of these uh, suicides? Or any other near-death experiences? Yeah, like, you know, I've been beaten badly, beaten unconscious. Yeah. Ended up in the hospital. I've been tortured. Guy came to my my house and bit my face, knife to the throat. Lots of different trauma and stuff like that, you know? So, so, yeah. So, so this is, now it starts to fit for me a little bit. You're, you're a certain kind, you're the, you know, certain kind of real deal drug addict, alcoholic that... It tries to kill themselves, is having near-death experiences, and literally takes off the restraints and walks out of the hospital and gets the Jack Daniels. That's that kind of alcoholic, right? That's you. Yeah. And yeah. and those yeah. guys... In a lot of ways, I was functional, too. Like, I knew yeah. you always had a job, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It, so it was a weird thing, because when I was a kid, like in Ireland growing up, there was a lot of ignorance of what alcoholism is. Like, like when I was growing up, I thought an alcoholic was someone who was homeless, yeah. you know, uh, couldn't hold down a job. Like, but I was kind of functional. And a lot of times I would be a binger. I could go weeks at a time mm-hmm. without getting high or drinking. Mm-hmm. I only, it was only at the very end that I started doing it every day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, and but, but you threw in all the stimulants and the ecstasies and the probably God knows what else. And, and, um, and those guys, meaning the sort of the kind of addiction that you represent, kind of get used. See, usually when somebody nearly dies, there, there are sort of sort of three things that get people to surrender. They nearly die, they lose their family, 
for women, they lose their kids. That, that, and sometimes losing freedom too gets people in. Then they're like, okay, I'm ready to do something. But the the kind of addict alcoholic that has repeated near-death experiences kind of like gets numb to that too. And I've noticed that that those guys, when they get sober, it's almost uncanny. They just decide one day. It's just like, fuck it. Like It's a weird kind of down moment rather than a really extreme moment. They just like, that's it. That's it. I can't put another foot forward with this. That's it. Did you have one of those sort of moments? Yeah, like when I got to a point where I was willing to call Bernard and ask him to to take me to a meeting, I had already tried killing myself multiple times. Yeah, I had yeah. already tried switching different kinds of yeah. drugs. Yeah, I had yeah, yeah. I tried being sober on my own, and it was obvious that I couldn't do it. So it was really, I was cooked. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. done. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. That that and 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 that's that. You know, those guys. Um, it's but for the grace of God because you could have just as easily have actually cooked yourself and be dead, but you, you kind of go through these multiple things and you just get to a point where like, you, and there's a lot of depression and a lot of also oftentimes like, um, like you get some wacky psychiatric symptoms here and there too, right? From all the ecstasy and the meth mm-hmm. drone, you get psychotic and you get fugue states and all those things that happened to you too. Yeah, like before I came to the 12 step meetings, I, I thought I had mental problems. I really did because, yeah. I would feel depressed all the time, you yeah, know, quick yeah. to anger. Yeah. I thought maybe I was bipolar, manic depressant or some shit like that. And, you know, thank God that, that woman that I went to see, the therapist, she never put me on any on any meds or anything like that because she could see that that's all that was wrong with me. Yeah. And I didn't realize that part of the package of being an addict or an alcoholic is there's a lot of depression with it and oh, these yeah. kind of feelings. And yeah. it took me about a year or so to level off after I got sober, but yeah. like, Right. You know, it had been, you know, it took a long time for my head to clear up yep. and and, yep. and put like complex thoughts together yep. because, <laughs> yep. because when I first got sober, you're kind of going on, on, a, on a basic feeling level, like I'm hungry now, I'm tired now. Yeah. You know, it yeah. was, it was, uh, there had been years of abuse and it took me a long time for my head to come back to somewhat of normal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, I know people don't appreciate this. That first year you are not normal when you're, when you're doing lots of drugs and lots of alcohol takes a year to get your brain back. And if you're doing benzodiazepines, sometimes it takes two years, but yeah, that's a interesting observation. And, And, you know, one of the things, go ahead. Like one of the one of the things they say in the rooms is like you know you shouldn't date anybody yeah. while they're in their first year because yeah. that for that reason you're you're supposed to let them recover because they're not in the right mind at that point. And and, and there's so much rapid growth in that first year that you know relationships have a way you know, we have sort of fittedness in relationships and that fittedness keeps you from the rapid emotional growth that is necessary for that first year. And then and then the more pernicious part is everyone in the room knows that anyone with any degree of sobriety who takes it who gets on to somebody in their first year is predatory. That's 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 interfering right. with somebody's sobriety and that's not okay. That's not okay. So John, what what's the movie going to be? What am I going to see? Well, we, um, it's probably going to be a, a TV series. And uh, it, what, the interesting thing is that we, we had, we've had interest from before we even wrote the book about doing this as a series. Because the fact is, once we cracked it and was like, it's this life in 12 steps and the, the rhythm to it, you can sort of see how it lays out as a show. And so what we're basically deciding as we speak is, do we do it traditional American streamers or Richie's Irish? Do we go and try to get, you know, do it a little bit more, not when I say authentic, but, but from that perspective on an Irish journey to America and where uh, uh, and you know ends up, so sort of. it's kind of it's it's an exciting project. The interest has been fantastic. So sort of killing Eve type type uh, setup. <laughs> well, you, you know the 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 nice thing about it is that it can also keep going because one thing nice about the twelve steps is that 
when you get through it as Richie did, then part of your job is to help others yeah. by sharing your experiences. Yeah, so, yeah. And, you know, Drew, I think you understand this is that Dave and I, we just love Richie's story. We love, we love who he is, but we also just love the fact that, you know what, it's kind of nice to put something good out there mm-hmm. because, you know, and, and, and it's interesting because Richie has always been very clear that he, this is not a how-to manual and that he didn't want to be preaching to people that, and we, we told him, and to be honest, there was some pressure and there's something Drew, I think you may have noticed. Richie is interesting to me because once he decides that this is the right way to do it, he's just unshakable. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm not doing a how-to manual. I'm not preaching to other people. Mm-hmm. But what we believe is, as Richie said, if people see somebody as fucked up as me can get through it, maybe they'll think they can also. Yeah, and, and that's why these stories are important to tell. But, but Richie, th- this is what I picked up about Richie early in this conversation, is that he has to – his compass has got to be due north all the time or he's fucked. And so so he knows he's got to live with integrity and honesty and clarity and doing what's right. Are you sponsoring other people now, Richie? Yeah, I have yeah. A, lot of, a lot of them. <laughs> I bet, I bet, I bet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, where can, let me ask you this. Where can we find – where can we see you now? You've been on everything acting-wise. Is there something on the air now we can kind of look for? No. I've been on the Days of Our Lives, NCIS, Blue Blood, Criminal Minds, Major Crimes, all always, that kind of stuff. Always playing a bad guy. I'm always the bad guy, or maybe like <laughs> maybe the cop who arrests the lead who's like uh, really a bad guy. Uh, <laughs> you know? Or that you're yeah. the dirty cop. Perfect. Yeah. And, and Richie, on July 16th at Barnes & Noble at the Grove at 2 p.m., you can buy uh, tickets, which I guess get you the book, uh, and uh, and uh, we'll all be there in person, and then you can meet Richie. Gary, is that we're going to be? Hang on, gentlemen. <laughs> Gary, are we going to be able to post this in time? What was the date again? July sixteen. Pro- uh, probably, yeah. Okay, all right, good. So July sixteen, everybody, go see oh, go nice. see Richie. Are you going to be there too, John? Yes, and uh, Dave Krinsky. All right, excellent. Uh, Richie, thank you for sharing the story. I think it is so important that people uh, hear it. Uh, and of course, you know, this, the service part of this in terms of serving the addict community, I, I've really always felt, well, for the last 20 years, I felt this is, this is the problem of our time. Uh, and, you know, we didn't even get into childhood trauma stuff, which I'm sure you had a big dose of, which is always lurking around in these stories as well. Let me just sort of ask as a, as a final chapter, I mean, are you are you having trauma therapy? Did you did you get any professionally managed stuff, or you've been able to manage it in your relationships with peers in the in the program? Well, um, uh, I, I have got EMDR because because uh, good um, for different uh, trauma, traumatic things that happened, and that that has helped a lot. Good, yeah, it's it's an important piece. I I call that sort of complete recovery, which is. There's recovery, which is Richie's a living, breathing example of that. But then you're left both from the addiction, you know, the, the, the disease and, it's, and it, where it takes you and from whatever traumas you were trying to manage with the drugs. You're left with the trauma still sitting there and you got to kind of go back and manage that stuff. And uh, sometimes people do it in their, you know, with their fit, redoing their fifth steps over and over again and sort of finding that safe environment with their sponsor. But usually you need a little bit of professionally managed trauma therapies to get thoroughly through that stuff. And John, I hope when you do this, that there'll be, I just imagine it as back and forth in time. You know what I mean? You know, where he is now helping somebody and then going back into it, you know? Yeah. You're nailing it. That's, we want to follow his path of recovery and then go back in every episode to see where it came from and how it fuels, you know, how it feeds each other. Amazing. Richie, anything you want to finish up with? Anything people should know? Have I missed anything? Uh, let me just be clear that that uh, any any childhood trauma wasn't wasn't family related because uh, I had a pretty normal upbringing. My my, my parents were okay, but um, I would just say uh, if you if you're interested and you want to see the book, you can get it on Amazon, Simon and Schuster, Barnes and Noble, or if you don't like reading and you want to hear the audible, I do the the audible <laughs> too. Oh, how fun! 
That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And John, anything to finish from you? No, just uh, it, it's a great story, and uh, I, I I think that this could be its own <laughs> industry for a while because it's it's great stuff. Well, I I love it because it it pulls the curtain back on this illness, and uh, and you're willing to do it with humor and realism, and uh, people need to understand that they just don't get it. And I think an important part too is you know, how people get to willingness and surrender. And uh, people want to be able to control that, and they can't. That's one of the weird spiritual parts of recovery is people – it takes what it takes, as we say, Richie. And uh, you never know what the, what it is that's going to take. And in, in your case, it took a lot, took a bit to get you get you where you got. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and as they say, some are sicker than others, and that's and that's awesome. And, uh, and that and that actually puts you in a position to help more, frankly, because you've, you know – you have all that that experience under your belt. Follow Richie on Instagram at Richie Actor, R-I-C-H-I-E, Actor, one word. And the book, again, The Gangster's Guide to Sobriety, My Life in 12 Step. Gentlemen, I appreciate you being here with me. Take care, Dr. Drew. Care, Thank you, guys. And we'll see you all next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. All this month, stream the funniest films for free on Pluto TV. Watch comedy classics like Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, and Mean Girls. Or drop in for a Tyler Perry marathon with a Medea family funeral and Medea's witness protection. Pluto TV also has hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and TV shows like Get Shorty, Be Cool, Key and Peel, Comedy and Color, and more. And no contracts, no subscriptions, no fees, no joke. So download the Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device and start laughing today. Pluto TV, drop in, watch free.